Welcome to our number two of Blast Beats and Bicycles here at WMCN 91.7 McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm joined today by a special guest, Justin Anderson, a board member of the Cycling Museum of Minnesota. Justin, how you doing? I am doing fabulous. It's great to have you here. We're, uh, I'm, I'm excited about what you guys are doing at the Cycling Museum. I think there's a lot of stuff there for so many different parts of the cycling community here. And I'd kind of like to little, know more about the museum from your perspective. So talk a little bit about the origins, how you guys came up with the idea and that kind of thing. Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm uh, just a bike collector. It's just a, a hobby of mine and I like to um, find and uh, restore and ride vintage bikes and um, I'm also the captain of the Minnesota Wheelman, which is an antique bike club. And I, I guess the origins of the museum, it was always been a, a, a dream or a fantasy that I've had. And then I had uh, a gentleman over to my house and we showed, we, I was touring, have given him a tour of my collection. 
And he was, you know, just kind of a little bit overwhelmed at the <laughs> amount of bikes that I had. And uh, he just said, you know, just by driving by your house, you'd never know you had this collection in in your house. Right. Hanging on a hook. And he said, how, do you, how does that make you feel? And I said, well, you know, I mean, I, I do events and that sort of thing. So, you know, I get the bikes out and um, use them as um, teaching devices and people... Um, take something away and I've met a ton of great people through just riding a, a cool interesting bike as well so it wasn't like you're trying to hide them from people oh no 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 nothing like that <laughs> but he had a little something in mind uh, and he's the one that kind of got me motivated to you know let's let's uh, have this happen to where we get these bikes in a place where we can have people come and check them out on a regular basis and kind of that's kind of how it started. Nice. So obviously you've got a pretty substantial collection and a lot of the museum's uh, collection so far comes from, from your collection. How did you get started? What was the first bike that you collected with an, uh, an idea that it was going to be a collector bike? Um, you know, uh, I guess I got interested from looking at old pictures of bikes, especially the, the high wheel bikes and just trying to figure out how you could uh, balance on a bike like that. I just didn't think it was possible, and it just looked ridiculous. How do you even really. get on, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, so once I got through school, I just made it up in my mind I was going to find one. And then once you know, I got uh, the Internet figured out, I did find one. I drove all the way to St. Louis, Missouri to get it. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I taught myself how to ride, which was a real experience. Um, I got up on it, and I had no I, – I didn't have any – idea how I was going to get off. I didn't even think about how I was going to dismount the right. bike until I was already on it and it was too late to come up with a plan. <laughs> and I just kept riding around the block and my, you know, my, my knuckles just kept getting wider and wider and I was just holding on for dear life. And I would, I would, and I waited of course until it was dark out. So just in case I crashed, I wouldn't look like a, a, a fool. complete fool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I went around the block at least three times and, you know, people were pointing at me and smiling and it was fun. It was just a blast. But then I, I came up in, into the driveway and I was like, I'm just going to bail right into the bushes. And that's what I did. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, so how many rides in was it before you actually came up with your plan for exiting? <laughs> oh no, that was the very first time. Yeah. I just had to circle around the block and th this was down in uh, hilly Red Wing, Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And so what do you remember that bike? Do you still have that bike? Um, the bike is still around. I sold it to another guy that needed uh, a beginner bike because that okay. was a, a reproduction bike. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So people actually still make high wheel bikes. Oh, sure. There's all kinds of companies. There's um, one in uh, Orlando, Florida, and it's called Victory. They're, they're modeled after uh, a Victor high wheel bike, which was made in Chicopee Falls, Massachusetts. And, you know, they're, they're not cheap, but you, you know, just like with anything else, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So over time, how many different bikes have you collected? The total number of bikes? Yeah. Oh, Can man. you count that high? I didn't know you're going to be asking <laughs> these personal questions like this. Oh, it is, it, it is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's. And obviously high wheels are a passion of yours. Do you have other uh, eras of bikes that you like? I mean, are you sure. okay with safety bikes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wood rim bikes. Um, you know, I, I like um, early French bikes, um, you know, Italian bikes. Um, but I guess my, my area of expertise is the 19th century bikes, early mm -hmm. stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and what was it that initially drew that drew you to that era? What was it, what was it about a high wheel bike that was so so intriguing to you? Well, when you get up close to a real authentic high wheel bike, you'll you'll instantly notice how much detail there is because the the manufacturers made every single component of the bike. You know, they didn't uh, just make the frame and fork and put a bunch of components on it from Japan mm-hmm. like it happens these days. So every bike was unique in in many many ways. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You know, and I think about all of the the metal components that go in. Even you know, if they were you know had brakes, hand hand brakes. Yes. You know the levers that they created to make the to actuate those brakes and how they managed to pull that right. off. It's it's fascinating to see those things. Yeah, and that time in, in that time period, it was such a craze. It just took off like like mad and the patent office was just inundated with these new bicycle patents. So they had to have a patent office for just bicycle parts and then another office for everything else. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. In There's the 1880s. That, no yeah. kidding. Yeah. So uh, are there any of those original bike makers that are particularly interesting to you? I mean, some of those earliest uh, companies, what were some of the ones that, that stand out for you? So in, in America, the um, American bicycles, which are, you know, the early ones, the high wheel bikes, they were pretty much the best uh, bicycles, the, the most well-made bikes. They use the best quality steel in, compared, in comparison with European bikes. Um, there's really very few European bikes or English bikes, French bikes, German uh, high wheel bikes that were really good quality, except for like the Rudge and maybe hmm. one other one. Yeah. But um, uh, American companies, it was Columbia, which was uh, Colonel Pope's uh, company, and then um, Victor, which was the Overman Wheel Company, and then uh, Gormley and Jeffries, which is out of Chicago. Uh, but most of the early bike manufacturing companies were out on the East Coast, and uh, that's why when you uh, go to um, you know, bike auctions or whatever on the Internet, most of those old bikes uh, have their origins on the East Coast, which is where most of the manufacturers the, were. And most of the people, too, right? That's right. I mean, that's where your markets were at, yeah, that, at that point. Exactly. Yeah. So are there some bikes in your collection that, that have particular meaning to you? I mean, are some what what stories do you have about individual pieces uh, well, yeah, I, I actually was approached. I was riding my high wheel uh, the other day at um, in North St. Paul at the car show. We were just riding around. Uh, I was visiting a friend, and a guy was just so he just he's like, I, I gotta buy this bike. You gotta sell me this bike. And, wow. and I said, I can't sell you this bike because <laughs> I've got eight centuries on that high wheel bike. So eight centuries. Yeah. On on that on that one bike. Yep. And I told him that, and he didn't know what that was. Yeah. And I said, so. Eight times, eight separate times, I rode a hundred miles in one day on this bike, and he was just blown away. And then he, he had to call. I think he called his son. He's like, "You wouldn't believe what I'm looking at." <laughs> this crazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's it like to ride that far on a, on a high wheeler? Well, I tell you what, I I highly recommend it. It will be the most painful thing you'll ever do. It is so <laughs> painful, but it changes you when you ride a century. On, on a high wheel bike, just on any bike, it, it changes you. You you just have a greater sense of confidence. It is a huge feeling of accomplishment. Um, it, it it does change you, and I, I do highly recommend it. it it's because uh, about mile fifty on a high wheel bike, you're just like I can't do this. Anymore. Yeah. And then you go for another ten miles, and sixty, and seventy, and eighty, and ninety, and ninety five miles, your hands start to go numb, your butt starts to go numb, your legs start to go numb. Um, and uh, wow. on my first century, I rode with another guy f- 
until he gave up. But um, the next day, we we uh, saw each other and we just started smiling. And he was in so much pain. Uh, we were going up to the cafeteria and um, he had to walk up the stairs backwards because he couldn't lift his leg oh, up. Oh, man. Yeah, he couldn't lift his legs up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So can you get out of the saddle on a high wheel bike? Uh, no, it's a fixed gear. Yeah. Yep. It is a fixed gear and you're riding upright. You're, you're, um, you know, riding very upright. Um, and that's kind of the style of the old pictures, you know, you're yeah. dressed in your very best, best clothing wow. for the times. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a, it's a, an afternoon out. Yep. Yeah. It, bikes like, uh, my, um, Victor in particular, uh, was 127 bucks and that was about more than six months of wages of your average gentleman back in that time. Wow. Yep. So that was quite an investment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So so as you built your collection, what were some of the, how did you go about finding people with these things? I mean, obviously there's clubs like the the wheelmen that you talked about. Yeah. You know, how did you start to learn about this? Yeah. The clubs, um, the, the clubs are really the key uh, to finding a, a bike if you want to get into riding antique bike or a high wheel bike, because a lot of guys have incredible collections that, mm-hmm. you know, make my collection just look like, you know, Goodwill. Wow. And, um, but they're not really in the market to sell bikes, but if they know that you want to ride a bike, mm-hmm. they will hook you up with a bike at hmm. a fair price. No kidding. And I, I tell you that club, the wheelman, it's the best group of guys that you could possibly imagine. Um, we actually, yesterday we just lost, uh, um, uh, one of our members, uh, mm. Jim Ogland, and he, uh, was a national commander. He was Minnesota state captain. Um, he rode coast to coast on a high wheel bike, um, wow. east to west, north to south. East to west. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine what kind of wind resistance you're going to have sitting upright on top of that four and a half foot wheel. Yeah. He wrote a book about it and it's a, a great book to read. Um, you know, and I, I just like to, um, pick his brain, uh, whenever, whenever I would see him and, um, you know, I, I would say, you know, what, what was the, the most challenging part of riding and, he surprised me. He said the most challenging part was uh, the rolling hills of Iowa. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have anticipated oh, that. No. I mean, no. I, I've known people who've done ragbri on a fixed gear, you know, and safety bike. And people do it on rag and ragbri every summer. Really? Yeah. Have you ever done ragbri with? No, it? I haven't. Wow. No, I need to bring the high wheel down there and do it. But that I would be an amazing. It's experience. on the bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. What? Um, uh, so. You know, thinking about racing, uh, obviously I'm very close to the velodrome and we ride fixed gear bikes up there, but it's really easy for us to change gear just by switching out cogs either on the, on the front or the back. Right. How do you decide if you're going to change something, if you want a different ride, faster climbing, whatever, how do you, how do you make that choice? So on, on a high wheel bike, you are limited not by how tall you are. It's your inseam. Right. Yep. So, um, I, I was trying to teach a gentleman down in the bike shop. He's six four. He's like, I want to learn how to ride that. I'm yeah. like, All right, I'll get you get you on on here. Yeah. And I thought I would bring my biggest bike yeah. so I could ride it. But his ins he was six four, but his inseam was only thirty two. So he had a very long upper body, but That's very right. short legs. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Now on a high wheel bike, there is slots on the cranks that you can adjust the pedals, okay. but you sacrifice your leverage sure. on starting and stopping, especially sure. when yeah. you do that. Yep. Yeah. So that's how you would size your wheel, um, was to, uh, your, your inseam. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So it's, if you want to switch gears, you're switching bikes basically. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. And so um, when people raced, you know, because the, the earliest velodrome races were raced on high wheel bikes. That's How did right. they, were they getting, was this their bike that they raced on or did they have, you know, if they were outside uh, on a road race, would they change gears or change bikes, I should say? Uh, yeah, they had bikes that were set up with very, very narrow tires, light, uh, light gauge spokes, light weight um, uh, components, mm -hmm. you know, everything there. Uh, and sort of the carbon fiber of, of right. the time, right? Yeah. 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 But, you know, just like like you said, a lot of the most successful racers were usually the tallest gentlemen. Yeah. So they could ride a bike in the uh, taller gear. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that bigger wheel, they cover more ground with one pedal stroke. That's right? exactly it. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. That's that's so fascinating. Yeah. So uh, obviously you've put a lot of uh, your energy and your collection into the cycling museum. What, uh, what kinds of things can people see within the, the museum's collection beyond the high wheel bikes? What other things do you have in the collection? Well, we've got a great board of directors right now. I mean, we've got highly educated, highly intelligent people on our board. And then there's me, the bike guy. <laughs> uh, but we've got all kinds of programming. We have a bike uh, ride coming up. It's called uh, BYOB, Bring Your Old Bike. Nice. We had one last year and for our first year, and it was a huge success. We had 60 uh, bikes come out. Fun. And yeah, just really great bikes that, you know, um, people had on display. And it's just fun to uh, have the, the owner of the bike there and tell you the story of the bike. Yeah. The history and provenance of how they got it, mm -hmm. who had it before them what the significance of the bike is during the, the time that it was created, all that great stuff. It was, it was awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, you know, you talked about antique bikes, you talked about old bikes. What makes a bike museum worthy as opposed to just being old? Well, you know, I used to think, you know, when I first started, um, it was condition of the bike and I would get, uh, discouraged if there was a bike that had rust on it. Mm -hmm. But you know, now, um, Every bike I've learned, you know, tells a story. Mm -hmm. And if there's a big dent or if they put, you know, some goofy attachment on there, it's on there for a reason right. and it tells a story and it's important. Yep. And so that's why when we acquire uh, a bike, when we, you know, acquire an artifact, um, we just leave it just as it is, but mm -hmm. we want to gather all the information to attach it to the bike so it's, they stay together. Because, you know, if you look, one way of looking at it is, the bike is just kind of the prop for right, the story that the story. it tells. Sure. Yeah. And th that's what's what's really cool. And that's where people, you know, um, get excited about it and they take that with them. And, yeah. you know, they, they do lear learn a lot whenever they come to the museum when we have a... a uh, an event going on. Yeah. And you guys are, you, you have a sort of a temporary space now. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're located today. Yeah, we sure do. Um, so we are in the old, um, Montessori school wing of, uh, St. Mark's church, which is just South of, uh, Loring park. Mm -hmm. It's right across the street from the Walker as well. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's, that's the exact spot. And, and so do people have the opportunity to come and and see the collection there? Yeah. If you get hooked up with our Facebook and our, you know, Twitter or on the website, um, you know, get, get signed on for email, um, notifications. There's events going on. E even the winter, we've got the spokes, um, people series, uh, lecture sh series, and they are just fascinating. The guys, the, the group of people that we 
have brought in to to speak on just such a wide variety of topics. It's it is fun and it is definitely worth coming in for. Those are really fun events. I've I've had a chance to come to a couple of them and they really are interesting to hear the different stories within Minnesota uh, and the bike community. Exactly, and you know sometimes the the speaker there. Their um, agenda is determined by just the questions that the, the audience asks. Yeah. And uh, we kind of get sidetracked sometimes, but <laughs> it, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's easy. I mean, so many people have such wonderful stories to tell. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, sometimes we'll have uh, pretty prominent experts uh, just in the, in the audience themselves, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at, uh, that know exactly um the specific things about uh, the topic that we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, much like you've curated the series uh, for spokespeople, you've obviously, you're, you're curating kind of the vision of what you want to be in the permanent collection when you have a home and that kind of thing. Talk a little bit about what you're looking for. What are the things that, as you grow as a museum, what are the things that you want to be able to talk about? What are the stories you want to tell? Oh boy. Well, you know, we are the Cycling Museum of Minnesota and we are really collecting Minnesota stories first and foremost, um, but you know, anything that is unique or interesting that we can tell a story that you know and educate people and and our youth, that's what we we're, we're really interested in for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And and so as things come in, you know, I'm sure you get unsolicited donations sure. and things come in all the time. Yeah. How do you fit that into your curation vision? Well, we, you know, when, when we do have an artifact that's offered to us, we um, have a meeting as uh, uh, our committee meeting comes and, you know, looks at all the information and makes a decision on, on the artifact. But, you know, we accept bicycles, of course, but also clothing, medals, newspaper clippings. We just mm-hmm. got a fantastic collection of newspaper uh, clippings and ephemera um, on the uh, velodrome um, in uh Shakopee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It That's, was, it was awesome. It, there's some amazing history in, in track racing here in, in Minnesota. And that, that track in Shakopee is, you know, even though it was only here for, I think less than two full years, right. uh, it, it has some amazing history there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when that, when that group of artifacts came in, I mean, just the, the hair on the back of my neck just stood up cause I just, it was so, uh, I was so impressed that somebody had collected that and saved that because they knew how important it Mm -hmm. it was or could be. And then the fact that they entrusted us with it, the museum, that was just... It's a big honor. Oh, it's a huge honor. I mean, you can see my hair on my arm right now. (laughs) I can, right? It's crazy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's really amazing to see some of those and and to hear those people tell those stories. It's almost, you know, the oral history is almost as good as the actual object sometimes. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yep, I, you know, and just... That's one of the things that I want the museum to become is a, a collection of, um, you know, stories, recordings of, of we're going to be d- doing interviews. You know, I also want it to be the place, the go-to place to find out, um, you know, who won what race in 1880 at, at the, um, the, the rink, the track yep. on Washington. Yep. And, you know, also what is the correct reflector to put on, a, you know, 72 Stingray? yeah. You know, I want, I want it to be the, a link for everything. That's, you know, that's one of the dreams. Yeah. So, so as people, you know, start to think about, well, maybe I've got something that's interesting. What would you recommend that they do? 
Uh, just contact the museum and, you know, uh, send some pictures and, you know, let us know what, what you have. And, yeah. and uh, you know, sometimes it'll, it'll be just uh, a great experience for, for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I can't guarantee you that we'll, we'll take everything right now. Um, you know, like uh, the other day we were offered a, a, a pedicab. Oh wow! Oh, it was the coolest looking thing. I bet. The thing is, we just have any don't have any room for it. Yeah, right now, yeah. That's got to be a hard, a hard thing to 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 manage. It right is. Now. It's very difficult. You know, we got offered uh, a couple of trikes too that were made here in in Minnesota. Really? And we we did accept one. I would have liked to taken them both, but yeah. you know, we just don't have the place uh, right now for storage. Yeah. So do you, obviously you're planning out the long distance future of, of the museum. Do you have any events or activities coming up in the short term where people can look at a specific aspect of the, of the, the collection? Oh yes. Yeah. We just had, um, one, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had, uh, um, an event that was just for our donors that mm-hmm. have, um, contributed and, mm-hmm. you know, we had, um, uh, just a special, uh, exhibit for, for them and, you know, question and answer. And mm-hmm. it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I bet. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to hear about more about the things that you're doing on, on the ephemera that you talked about, you know, sort of the, the participation, the activity of cycling in Minnesota and the culture that surrounds it and that kind of thing. How are you guys planning to incorporate that along with the physical objects that you've collected? Well, you know, some objects, when we get an object, we can have an exhibit around the object, Mm -hmm. you know, and then some of the objects we get, we will incorporate them into other exhibits, Mm -hmm. you know, um, like, uh, when we get, um, something that's really significant or has a great provenance of a story, you know, we can, we can just have it be the center of, of the exhibit Mm -hmm. and, um, and just build from that. Yeah. It's, I, I think back, I, I saw the Gopher Wheelman jersey that you have as part of yes. the most recent uh, exhibit. And that was just so cool to see that long-term racing history. Oh, here that, that is such a great story too, because um, it was a um, husband and wife and they were at um, Minicycle mm-hmm. and I had two uh, Behringer bikes, uh, one track and one road. They were matching there on, on exhibit. Wow. And uh, I also had these this picture book that I wasn't even going to bring. Yeah. I was just like, well, you know, some of these guys, they don't know what the track was like down right, there right. and they don't know how important and significant it was. So mm-hmm. I, I just threw it in. I didn't even bring it in. I just left it in my truck. So then I was, I, this, this gal came over and she goes, oh, a Behringer. And I said, do you know something about these, these bikes? And she's like, huh, I rode the track. I like, I said, what? Wow. You did? And so then I ran to my truck. I said, can you just stay right here? So I ran to my truck because I, w- I knew that she could answer some questions of these pictures. Yeah. And she knew everybody in those pictures. No kidding. And then we turned this one page and she goes, oh, there's me right there. Wow. And she goes, oh, there's Gary. Gary, come over here. You're in this picture. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. So that's how that's how we got connected with them. And then, then they donated those jerseys. And that one, that Gover Wheelman jersey, they all came in one size and it was men's large and she was just a little tiny petite gal. (laughs) And so she showed, she had to take the whole Jersey apart and then re-sew it up. So it fit her. Wow. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That that dedication 
yeah. you know, and overcoming that, that might, what seems relatively minor challenge, but you know, right. the dedication to racing is, is pretty impressive. Yep, absolutely. So you must just walk around with your, your phone on record all the time when you go to events like oh, that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, and then when there, when there is events like that, I, I do try to pick out, um, some of the guys that are, I, I know that are prominent in the cycling, uh, uh, scene and mm-hmm. I'll just go and stand by them and just soak up whatever I can soak up. Yeah. Cause I learn something every day. I bet I, I do. I truly, I learn something every day and I'm the first to know that I don't admit that I don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> so as you start to, you know, as you look at other bikes that you want to collect, uh, how do you decide, well, this is perfect for the museum or I want to keep this to myself? <laughs> well, um, right now, like, I get more of a thrill collecting for the museum than yeah. I do for myself. Cause even if, you know, I find something on eBay or something, I'll, I'll be like, Oh, that would be so cool to yeah. have on display, yep. you know? Yep. And, um, you know, and I'll, I will try to contact them, you know, will you, are you interested? Would you consider donating this to the psyche museum of yeah. Minnesota? And then, you know, just try to tell them a little bit about it. And sometimes they're like, yeah. And then, you know, we send them a form and they fill out the donor form and, and then we've got a, a new person that, is attached to the museum and they have ownership mm-hmm. in the museum because yeah. their artifact is on display in the museum mm-hmm. and they're proud of that thing. Yeah. And it, it's just great. It works out awesome. That's great. Yeah. What are some of the ways that people can get involved other than donating uh, items to the, to the museum? Well, volunteering too. We can always use volunteers because um, we've got, you know, we've got these events coming up and sometimes um, we just don't have enough staff. And I mean, to be quite honest with you, there's, there's no book that says this is the right way to, uh, start a bike museum and have it be successful. <laughs> right. So we make it up as we go a yeah. lot. And, you know, we're looking for board members. We're looking for um, volunteers all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and it, it, it's fun just to um, come and socialize yeah. and, and, you know, soak up some stories. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. What, uh, what kinds of specific needs do you have? You talked about needing board members. Are, are you just looking for people who are passionate about uh the cycling history around oh, here, boy. or are you if, looking if for I specific? Could, if I could pinpoint one thing, it would be the thing that I really, honestly, I thought it wouldn't be as tough as it is, and that is the fundraising aspect. Mm-hmm. And I know you know all about I that. I do. It's challenging. It, it is very challenging. And we are looking for somebody that is, you know, um, has that figured out because, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm sure you guys have some donors who have been very generous with you oh and, goodness, and you're yes. grateful for, for those folks, but it's we a are, different thing to have that ad hoc versus. Yes. You know, and we are very, very thankful. I wouldn't even probably be here talking with you right now if it wasn't for our donors that we currently have that have made things, all these things possible. And, you know, we're looking into the future and we want our own brick and mortar place. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, kind of selfish. I, I want Minnesota to have the biggest cycling museum, square footage, number of bikes in the museum, number of members, you know, I, I want it to be the best museum in the world. That's, I mean, that's what I want. That's, that's great. And so uh, obviously you've started looking around, what are some of the characteristics of a space that that are helpful? What are the things you need for the museum to be a success? Sure. You know, accessibility, we've got everything outlined and, um, you know, location is big and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the square footage is important too. And, you know, you got to have, um, bathrooms that are, you know, accessible. It, right. we have to, you have yep. to have everything. You the know? public facing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I want to have a place like, um, showers for cyclists and, you know, and everything nice. just, uh, kind of, uh, designated and, um, kind of, um, 
with with just cycling in mind for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. You uh, you talked about you know initially you you weren't so excited about things that had a little rust on them or maybe had a little road grime on them or uh-huh. whatever. How do you guys go about conserving something that gets donated? Sure. So um, that's a really great question because sometimes we will get um, machine uh, bicycles or artifacts that. Um, Maybe I've come across it on the internet or, you know, locally somehow. And um, maybe the, uh, the seller um, will put, put new tires on there to Mm -hmm. um, promote the, the, the sale of the bike. Right. And, you know, we would want to put the tires, the original tires. And I've done, we've done that before. Have you? Yeah. 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 Do they, do they come in usually in pretty good condition? The things that you, that you're able to acquire? Um, yeah, they they do. Um, like we just we just uh, acquired two Terry O'Cell um, made bikes. Wow. Yep. One with Columbus multi shape, and the other one was um, uh, actually commissioned by um, Mr. Berenger to Terry O'Cell. It's the number two bike he made. Wow. Yeah, and it's got fastback stays. It's the only one that uh, is in existence that's got fastback stays on wow. it. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. D- tell people about Terry uh, for those who don't know. So yes, um, Terry uh, is, I guess in my um, opinion, he's kind of like um, one of Minnesota's uh, cycling ambassadors. Mm-hmm. He's just such a great guy. He's been in the industry his whole life, um, and he's just so interesting to talk to. He's such a kind gentleman, um, a lot of fun to be with, uh, a lot of fun to ride with, um, um, and uh, we're just so lucky to have him. And he learn from uh, Mr. Berenger, and then he taught um, Tim Patrick and Mr. Paul Wiganowski, and, you know, and, and uh, Mr. Paddock, he wrote the book on frame building, mm-hmm. which got so many more people involved and are interested in it. And, you know, all these guys are still around yeah. to, to talk to, ask questions to, um, you know, um, like Chris Qualley is another guy that is, you know, he's, he's another one of the, what I consider a cycling ambassador for the state of Minnesota. It's, it's amazing how much, uh, of a sort of hub, no pun intended, of course, uh, of, uh, frame building there is here in Minnesota. Yes. I mean, there's really a long pedigree, you know, you talked about Behringer and Ocell, you know, kind of being that sort of godfather class of, of uh, frame builders, but we've got tons of people still here who are actively making bikes. Yes. And just gorgeous, gorgeous um, pieces of, of uh, machinery. When you, when you commission a bike, you know, like with Chris Qualley, you're going to get a, just a piece of jewelry mm-hmm. of a bike. I mean, it's, it's so, they're so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, sometimes you, there's too beautiful to ride almost. <laughs> yeah. I know. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And there's a lot of people doing more than just old, old fashioned steel bikes around here. You know I mean? Obviously mm-hmm. that's a very common, uh, custom bike material to mm-hmm. use, but you know, there are people making carbon bikes and I've seen titanium bikes coming out of, you know, Minnesota and absolutely, it's, it's really a diverse crowd of people who are building these things. Yep, it's exciting and fascinating. And when you go to like, um, you know, events like Minicycle and you see the stuff that is coming out of the state of Minnesota, it's just like mind blowing. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, clockwork bikes. Oh my gosh, the stuff that Joel makes is just, it's so beautiful and so um, inventive and, uh, you know, engineered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that I, that to me is really interesting about those custom bike builders is you get the personality of the rider because mm-hmm. of the, you know, the, the unique nature for that person. 
but you also get the personality of the builder. You know, I mean, there's special unique things that all those guys build into their, into their frames that you can immediately say, Oh, you know, that's a, that's an Eric Noren bike or that's a Wigmanowski right. or whatever, yes. you know? Yep. I mean, it's really special to see that stuff. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you, it sort of goes full circle back to what you talked about at the beginning of our, our conversation. You know, there's every bike was, was custom made because there wasn't mass production yet, really. Well, you know, high wheel bikes were I guess technically considered they were mass produced. I mean, there's there's pictures of just huge warehouses just hanging full of high wheel bikes. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know. Wow. I mean, because back then you you either rode a horse or you rode a bike. There was right. no cars. There was no what they call macadamized roads, which are you right. know paved, nice smooth roads we have today. Yeah. Um, and, and yet there's still guys that, I mean, on a regular basis, they would ride centuries in mm-hmm. their clubs. The clubs, yeah. club rides were usually century rides, you know, right. and they would go from one town to the next town. Yep. In between those towns, there wasn't any, um, you know, super America right. to stop at. <laughs> right. You know? So you I had mean, to carry your picnic basket along with you, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and a lot of those early bikes, didn't they have solid rubber tires? That's right. Oh mm-hmm. man, I can't even imagine how uncomfortable that would be. Yeah, the rubber was vulcanized right to the rim, and when you are trying to get one uh, rideable again, you have to get that rubber off, and it can be a very blisterful experience on your hands. Really? Yeah, because that stuff is can be just as hard as rock. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Wow. Does the age uh, play a part in that? I mean, does it depend on how old the bike is? Yeah. 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 But I mean, when you get one with with original rubber still on it, it's still it, it's still a, a, a gem of yeah. a bike to find. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you obviously have a one or two of your own bikes that you still ride pretty regularly. How do you maintain those bikes? I mean, what's the biggest challenge of well, keeping it rideable? I, I just, um, you know, use oil. I just oil everything up because that's what they did back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there's not much um, moving parts on there, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's really, I suppose, is the are there bearings in the hub? There is. Um, the higher-end bikes had um, ball bearings. The middle-range bikes had what was called cone bearings. Mm-hmm. And then the, the lower end bikes had what was called parallel bearings, which hmm. is just metal on metal, basically. Oh, boy. But I tell you what, if you put a little drop of oil on there, you can spin wheel and it'll spin just as, as good as a, a, a ball bearing wheel. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Because they were to... machine, precision machine of high quality steel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. And, and did, are there, were there any manufacturers here in Minnesota of oh, high yes. wheel bikes? Oh yeah. Oh, high wheel bikes. No. Um, uh, the late 1880s, they had, uh, quite a few companies building bikes. Mainly they were, um, farm implement, um, mm, sure. manufacturing companies mm-hmm. or, you know, like, um, gun, uh, manufacturers, really? sewing machine manufacturers. Interesting. Yes. Wow. Yep. And there's quite a few of them that's, that are, uh, that still have survived. And even some of the buildings are still, uh, intact. Really? Yep. Like the Lindsay Brothers building, which is uh, downtown Minneapolis, is still a gorgeous building. And it looks just like it did back in uh, 1880, 1892, I think. No uh, kidding. Yeah. On, and on so the where catalog. is that? Um, it's, it's right down uh, by Washington and um, just just right close to Washington and Hennepin. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, now I'm, I'm curious. Does it say the Lindsay Brothers building? It does, on it? right it on does. the top. Yep. No kidding. Yep. It looks That's exactly fantastic. the same as the catalog did. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yep. 
So have you been able to find uh, a, a pretty wide range of information about that early time in Minnesota cycling history? Yeah, we have a guy on our board and um, he is a really great researcher. Actually, we've got quite a few uh, um, museum professionals that are incredible researchers uh, on uh, to find things that you know, I have I had looked for years and years and years, and I'd give up, and they found stuff just in a matter of minutes. You know, on um, some of the genealogy websites, they can come up with stuff. Interesting, I, it's fascinating. Wow, I don't know how they do it, but they're man, they <laughs> just make it look so easy. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And so, uh, are some of those things going to be filtering into some of your upcoming uh, exhibitions? Oh yeah, whenever whenever um, you know we have uh, an exhibit, we always have a label, and it 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 gives. A, a brief story of the bike, the history, the importance, and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. really, it's it's really interesting stuff. I uh, we did a, a little fundraiser for the cycling center, uh, our our hope for to build the new velodrome here in town. Yes, uh, and discovered uh, Dottie Farnsworth, oh. who is uh, essentially one of the first women to be really successful riding in velodrome races um, at the end of the eighteen hundreds and in in that era. And she raced against a woman from uh, Chicago and they were, you know, like on the national circuit and, and rode around, you know, raced each other at all these sort of barnstorming events. And I came across an article that was just so fascinating, apparently on uh, like Lake Street over by um, the river, essentially, there used to be a, uh, a a fairgrounds or an amusement park Mm -hmm. and they had a big horse track there. Okay. So they had uh, these two women scheduled for a race. And they had sold something ridiculous like 3,000 tickets. And this was 1896 or something. And so it was a huge deal. And tons of money was bet on, on this in advance of, of the race. Oh. Well, Dottie got sick oh, like the no. night before. Oh. And so she was going to cancel. And it literally became a riot. I mean, there's like wow. stories in the, in the old Minneapolis Star, I think it was, where they talked about this riot and it sounded like it was kind of hooligans who had been involved in the betting sure. that started the, you know, sort of the, the fights in the stands because they weren't getting their, their money back or something like that. I mean, it was yeah, amazing. Cy- uh, cycle racing was like one of the top big three spectator sports in, in the country. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right along with, you think it would be um, baseball or football, mm-hmm. which those two sports were in existence, but they just weren't as popular as they didn't as, have the traction. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And the other one, of course, was horse racing. Yep. And then boxing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's fun. You know, when you think about the, the horse racing component, a lot of times people on bikes would race horses. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, they that's would right. do it as an exhibition kind yep. of thing. Mile a minute Murphy. Right. One of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's really fascinating that early history of, of bike racing here in, in Minnesota. And it's, it's really deep and rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, are you familiar with the, the uh, world record, uh, speed record that was held by uh, Torchy Pete, and it was set right here on Hiawatha. No. Yeah. I knew, I, I know Tor- Torchy raced here a bunch in the six days. Sure. Yeah, I didn't realize it. So on Hiawatha Avenue, That's you're right. talking about. Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. Wow. And so when was that? Uh, that would have been in the 30s. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah, that's is, is just fascinating. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, and you think about, you know, we talk a lot about how our weather limits the amount of really good riding time here, but it mm-hmm. was so popular around here. I mean, even the, the roads around the, the lakes, you know, like the Isles, Lake Calhoun oh, yes. or uh, Bidet Makaska now, 
um, they those were all made as as bike tracks originally. That's right. Yep. And uh, and then the cycle path uh, around the lakes too. You had to have a special license to ride on the cycle path. It was a really? cycle path license. Yeah. Interesting. And if you didn't have that on your on the left side of your fork, uh, you got. Um, you could get a fine. It was a dollar. No kidding. That was a ton of money. That is a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Wow. When you think a bike costs $127, a dollar is a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like you said, racing is really rich in um, Minnesota. And, you know, the the six-day racing is just such a fascinating Mm -hmm. um, topic. And just the concept, uh, especially on a high-wheel bike, six-day racing on a high-wheel bike. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. To to think about that. I've had, I've had the chance to see a number of six day races, uh, over in Europe and, and it's an amazing spectacle today, mm-hmm. but to think about those guys doing it nonstop, you know, cause right. it says now it's four, four or six hours of racing during the evening, generally speaking, but then it was 24 hours. Brutal. Yeah. 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 I mean, guys falling over and dying on the track, <laughs> literally <Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> yeah. But it's so, I mean, it's amazing to think about how they were so focused on endurance and, you know, they would, they would just go until they couldn't anymore. And then mm-hmm. they'd get off and they'd take the penalty of, you know, losing time on the track. Sure. But everybody was, you know, kind of seeing how far they could go. Right. I think one of my favorite stories of the six days, and you've probably heard this story, is uh, when Teddy Roosevelt decided that it was an, an inhumane sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is when he was governor of New York. I think it was around 1906 or somewhere in that time frame. And, uh, and so he said, well, you know, nobody can, they passed a law in New York that said that nobody can ride or, or do an athletic event for more than 12 hours because they figured, well, that will kill the six days, which go 24 hours a day. Sure. Well, of course the promoters aren't stupid. Yep. So they said, well, we'll just make it a team sport. Yep. That's right. And so now we still have the Madison, which is named after Madison square garden. Um, and it's, it's a team sport. It's one of the very few team, you know, truly team racing at the same time track events uh, mm-hmm. that we have. So I love that story. I just think that's so, you know, they, they, the promoters always finding a way yep. to get their, to get their money out of it, well, regardless yeah. of what I the mean, laws are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And and like you said, we've got a really rich history of that here in, in Minnesota too. I mean, we were one of the top uh, destinations on that six day tour during the thirties and, and even into the forties before it finally died out during the, during the war. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So as you think about those aspects of history around here, you know, obviously, in addition to the equipment and all the other kinds of things, what are the things that fascinate you and and how do you guys approach that at, at the museum level? Well, um, you know, just we're, we're we, we just take it um, kind of one day at a time. And we're just so I, I'm just so thankful that we are where we are and we've come as far as we have come. And um the, the group that's there, they're just so much fun to be with. They're just kind of like a family, really, um, because we, you know, we, we touch base with each other constantly and, you know, we got each other's backs and, you know, we, uh, we, we've got good times, hard times, tough times. Uh, and, you know, we've been through a lot since 2012. Um, but, you know, things just keep getting better and better. And all, all of the, the tough stuff, all of the legal stuff mm-hmm. to make it a nonprofit. Yep. All that stuff is in, you know, we've got all that stuff dialed in and we're good. That's great. And so, you know, it, it's, it's just kind of more smooth sailing right here. Mm-hmm. Once we just, you know, get all the, all of our pieces put into place on fundraising and coming up with a location mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's just, it's going to be, 
it's going to be a destination one day where people are going to fly here just to see the museum. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's what, what, what are, what we're looking forward to. And, um, there's just so many, uh, great things that keep us going. Um, and, um, it, it, it's, it, I, I'm just really blessed and really thankful that, uh, to, to be where I'm at right now. That's that's great. I should uh, remind people that we're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles at WMCN 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. With me today in studio is Justin Anderson, uh, founding member of the board of the, Minnesota, the Cycling Museum of Minnesota. Um, I want to ask you a few more questions, but uh, if people want to learn more about the museum, where should we send them? Uh, cmm.bike and you can just click on some links for our uh, Facebook page and Twitter feed and all that good stuff mm-hmm. and um, um, you know get on our mailing list and uh, you know we'll keep you up to speed on everything that's happening and um, when you can come in uh, check out our current exhibit and what we've got stored in the vault currently. That's great. And if, if somebody wants to get in dive into the history a little bit or or wants to start collecting um, bike artifacts. What what would you what advice would you give someone who wants to kind of start exploring that? Well, um, you know, there's there's so many great clubs right now um, out there, and uh, you know, I, I belong to a few clubs, um, and then there's just uh, some other groups that just kind of meet informally. Um, there's a a group that meets up at Barley John's at the first Monday of every month, mm-hmm. and we just, you know, get together and have a meal and talk about bikes and, um, like we'll, we'll bring in little artifacts and we call it show and tell. And we just like <laughs> pass it around the table. And sometimes, you know, we won't tell anybody what it is and see if they can figure out what it is. Cause That's it's always great. a bike thing. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's, uh, an old historic piece and sometimes it's something new or, you know, just whatever. Mm-hmm. It has a little story all by itself. Um, you know, otherwise like an antique bike club, um, like uh, the Wheelman, um, there's a website called The Cave that you can get on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of different great bike forums um, to, to um, get excited about, you know, um, having bike collecting as a, as a hobby. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know you've got a few bikes uh, in the collection that have had prominent ownership, right? So that sure. they not, haven't necessarily been, you know, an interesting bike by itself, but it's been owned by someone who's, who's prominent how do you give people encouragement if they maybe have something that's got a little history, but it's not necessarily a historic piece? Um, you know, like, uh, as, as far as showing it or, yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about, you know, if you were able to come across a bike that had been owned and ridden by Greg Lamont, for example, sure, yeah. what would, what would, what would, how would you approach that from a museum perspective? Well, um, you know, I would, I would try to gather as much information as I could Mm -hmm. on that, on that bike, you know, like when was it used, where was it used, what races was it used? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who worked on it, who built the wheels? Um, you know, how, how many of these bikes were in production? Mm -hmm. Um, was it just this particular paint and color scheme on this bike just for, for, you know, for him, uh, as, as a rider? Um, you know, that sort of thing like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's really interesting because I think those are some of the untold stories. You know, I see a lot of people posting things, Oh, this is a, you know, this team bike or whatever. And they want did, was this actually ridden in the tour or was it ridden in a, in a major race? And, you know, as often as not these days, at least it was a, it's a replica 
of the team bike. But, you know, you start to think about, well, man, if this was ridden by Greg or, you know, someone really prominent, uh, it has a, it has a history. Oh, for sure. You know, even yeah. though it's a production bike a lot of times. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Those stories are so fascinating to me. I, that's, uh, I just love being around the, the collection that you guys have built because they're just so, so deep in the stories. Yeah. And, and, you know, just like I said, that that's one thing that I have learned just, um, in this, in this project of, of the cycling museum, bringing it to where it is now, it's, um, it really is the story that the bike tells more than the bike itself. The bike's cool to look at. Um, it's just, you know, um, using it as, as the attention grabber for the story. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think back, a, a good friend of mine is a fairly avid collector of, of Italian bikes uh, in particular. Um, and he's had a few bikes from the, uh, you know, early part of the 20th century uh, that were used by the Italian team. But they would have the, you know, some of the earliest derailers and shifters. Sure. Or what they called suicide shifters. Right. Where you'd have to reach between your legs. Exactly. To shift gears. And I think, you know, what must that riding experience have been like? Okay, you got a second gear. Mm-hmm. which is huge if you're climbing up Mont Ventoux in the Tour de France, for example. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you've got to reach between your legs when you're going up an 18, 18%, 18% grade. Right. And, and at speed. And, and at the time, that was, there was a time where that was considered like cutting-edge technology. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, that's really interesting to me to see those evolutions of technology because, you know, like you talked about the little pieces, mm-hmm. and each one of those pieces had a purpose, and it was probably built in a unique and innovative way at one point. Sure. It was, you know, kind of the state of the art or it solved a problem mm-hmm. uh, that people didn't, couldn't figure out. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So what kinds of bikes are you really excited about right now? What, what, what's piquing your interest? Well, you know, just like I said, the Minnesota made bikes, I guess, are what I really am so excited about. Or just any, any kind of a bike that, you know, like, for instance, if um, a Minnesota uh, native went cross-country on a bike or mm-hmm. raced a bike, th- those are big. You yeah. Know? Like um, I, I acquired a bike uh, the other day. It was a track bike. Um, made by Mark Zay, local mm-hmm. uh, frame builder. Yep. Um, but that wasn't even the coolest part of the story. The the coolest part of the story was it was made by a champion track. It, he he it was I it was by a champion track racer, and he sold it to me, and uh, he didn't even start riding until he was age sixty. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. And he went to Masters National Championships. And, and, yeah, and he's got all these medals, and wow. they came with the bike. No kidding. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it was built right here. Mm-hmm. Was he from, the racer, was he from Minnesota? Yeah, he's from here. No kidding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, those stories are just absolutely incredible. Yeah. I love hearing those kinds of stories. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So are you guys going to be, uh, the uh, MIA has its third thir- third Thursday yeah, uh, bike coming night up. coming up next week. Mm-hmm. Are you guys going to be a part of that? We will. We're there. We've been there for the last, I think, three years. We'll have our High Wheel Interactive. You can climb up on it and see what it's like to ride a high wheel bike. Uh-huh. Uh, it's on a, a very stable stand. So, you know, it's, it's, it's safe. So you don't but- need instructions to get off? Well, <laughs> so yeah, you, we'll give you a little bit of coaching. That's fantastic. Yeah. Really, really fun. 
And so uh, that's going to be at the MIA. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you guys have going on beyond that? You've got the BYOB yep, uh, coming up. Yep, and that's in August. And then we've got, um, uh, looking ahead, we've got Bike Trivia Night, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and where do you guys do that? Uh, we have done that um, at uh, Fair State Brewery on Central and mm-hmm. like just off of 24th. Mm-hmm. So, and that's Great. always fun. Fantastic. Uh, yep, we've got uh, all kinds of uh, crazy questions for um, uh, facts that you some some of them you know, some of them you you won't have any clue about, but but uh, you know you are affected by it every day. We've got artifacts that we pass around, and you have to guess what, what it is are. or fun. Um, you know, tell answer the question about the artifact. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun time. That's great. Well, as a, as a reminder for everybody, uh, tell, tell us how we can find out more about the museum. Yeah. If you go to cmm.bike, which is cycling museum of Minnesota and, um, check us out and get signed up and get on our mailing list. And, uh, we will keep you up to date on upcoming events and activities. That sounds fantastic. Justin, it's been a real thrill to have you in the studio today. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, hanging out and uh, sharing stories, learning from you about all the the history and the museum that you guys are putting together. All right. All right. We're going to play ourselves out as usual with bicycle races. Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. You say black, I say white, you say bar, I say bite, you say shark, I say him and George was never my scene, and I don't like Star Wars. You say Rose, I say Royce, you say God, give me a choice. Say Lord, I say Christ, I don't believe in Peter Pan, Frankenstein, or Superman. Jesus, I don't want to be a candidate for Vietnam, I want to gain, cause all I want to do is die.